there is a depletion in perception and feeling of safety, which is then characterised by random violent attacks. The savage and unprovoked attacks on an American tourist and a Ukrainian actor in Dublin city centre made headlines, prompting debate around safety on the streets of the capital. In the case of the American man who was assaulted on Talbot Street, a 14-year-old boy has since been arrested. Minister for Justice Helen McEntee did a walkabout in the city centre and vowed to make the streets safer. As a government and as Minister for Justice, we have a plan to make sure that people are safe and feel safe in their towns, in their cities, be they urban or rural. But is there actually a plan? In her Irish Times column following the attacks, Una Mullally pointed to a lack of any real leadership or strategy for Dublin's future. There's this lack of strategic thinking. And so, yes, we do need leadership. I don't know where that comes from. The government has abandoned Dublin, in my opinion. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, if Dublin needs leadership and a plan, who's going to provide it? Una, the recent attacks on an American tourist in the city centre and Ukrainian actor outside the Abbey Theatre, that created headlines and prompted an outpouring of reaction that's still going on. Some fairly hysterical, in my view, using words like no-go areas. But look, there's no doubt that certain parts of Dublin city centre feel unsafe, especially at night. In your view, is Dublin becoming more violent Or is it just that these incidents are making headlines? I think it's a bit of both. I'd like to actually mention a a, a quote that a business owner in Aston Key, when I was talking to a bunch of people down there uh, last December, said, because I was looking back through my notes, and he said, I'm telling you now, something bad will happen. There will be a serious incident, maybe with a tourist, something that encapsulates the situation, and then everyone will go bananas about it, but you can feel it now. It's like a pressure cooker. That was Sean Crescenzi, who runs a restaurant down on Aston Key last December. It's very clear that there are small little pockets um, that are quite threadbare in Dublin that never recovered from the pandemic, but much, much, you know, beyond, uh, like, back in time, um, have been a bit dicey. When it comes to um, the Talbot Street situation, the... That's the street that the American tourist was attacked on. Correct, yeah. The Talbot Street and, and Store Street, just beside Store Street, guard the, st- guard the station there. As you say, some of the commentary in the aftermath of these attacks has been kind of ridiculous. I cycled down Talbot Street on the way here. Um, you know, Talbot Street is actually one of my favourite streets in Dublin. It's bustling. It has massive diversity of businesses. It has great cafes. It has great shops. Lots of old school businesses there, lots of new businesses. Uh, it has that thing that's actually often missing from Dublin City, where you can see that there's an integrity to the urban ecosystem in it and that there's loads of different stuff going on in terms of commerce, in terms of street life. People live there. There's lots of housing around it. So to say that streets like this, because they're not completely sanitised, are no-go or something like that is absolutely ridiculous. And it demonstrates a massive gap in kind of understanding uh, various parts of the city. And of course, there can also be violence. And of course, there can also be drug dealing. And of course, there can also be attacks. The issue that's happening and has been happening in Dublin um, over the past few years is one around a different kind of edge. 
And this is really hard to talk about because it's quite intangible. But it did emerge from essentially the kind of collapse of life in the city during the pandemic, where uh, all kind of business, retail, we all know that was all shut down. People kind of, uh, all the office workers and so on left en masse. And all of a sudden we saw this really exposed threadbare scenario where a lot of people were talking about, oh, the people who are left behind are left in the city. At the same time, you had all of the schools closed and you had lots of kids kind of like wandering around, hanging out. What else are they meant to do? So the very simple narrative is, you know, teenagers are running around the place and they had the, you know, they had the run of the city and, you know, whatever, they're acting out. Um, That's a very simplistic narrative. There's two things going on here. There is um, a depletion in a perception and feeling of safety, which is then characterized uh, by random violent attacks. And there's an issue with visible policing there. And then the other part of it is this kind of sense that Dublin City is falling behind, uh, kind of in the round, in terms of where we should be at as a city with regards to design, upkeep, public space, ambience, nice places to hang out and all that kind of stuff. These two things intersect. And specifically with regards to certain, not, not just certain parts of the city, but certain kinds of places like laneways, like small streets, like different kinds of intersections. Those are the things that require a more proactive approach in terms of safety and design. Now, we know that a 14-year-old has been arrested in connection with the attack on the American tourist, Stephen Terminay. And of course, you know, that boy's age is troubling on, on many levels. He's he's a child. Did the age of the boy arrested surprise you when you heard? No, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who um, lives lives in Dublin, one actually um, just off Parnell Street the day before this boy was was arrested. And he was saying to me, you know, it's the 14 year olds I'm more scared of than, you know, a- adults committing crime or being violent. Uh, and then, you know, cut to the following day and, and the boy who's arrested is 14. And I think there is that um, sense that kids in general, it can be very difficult and challenging when kids are kind of in, in a group or acting out or, or shouting abuse or things like that. But like these are children and we have to understand w- w- their context. What is going on in, in a kid's life that he goes out onto the street and does that? You know, there was a woman murdered during the pandemic not too far away from that, also by a 14-year-old boy. So there's obviously massive um, challenges there in terms of perhaps deprivation, perhaps um, kind of difficult home lives and so on. There are kind of a growing number of studies with regards to internationally, I'm not so sure about Ireland, with regards to the impact of the pandemic on um, youth crime or youth delinquency or various socio-psychological issues with regards to children who may have already been marginalised and the huge disruption to routine um, that occurred there, safe haven of schools not being available. I think a lot of parents will have experienced either a strengthening of bond or a weakening of bond with children during the pandemic. 
if a weakling bond is already there, what happens? Um, so that's a social issue with regards to um, kids that are maybe, I don't know, falling through the cracks is a real cliche, but but violent, essentially, and, and how that can be dealt with. The vast majority of kind of youth related crime in urban areas tends to be committed by a very small number of people. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's probably feeding into a lot of the stuff that the Gardaí are saying as well, that maybe the stats aren't going up hugely with regards to assaults, but what they are noticing is that kind of um, group mentality, like that that groups of kids are maybe, you know, articulating themselves in a more threatening or abusive way. I mean, I've experienced that. I think a lot of people have experienced that in the city in recent years. Now, you write about Dublin very often in your your weekly Irish Times column, and you say that there has been a shift in the atmosphere in the city. Do you feel that that's in all parts of the city or just certain parts? I think that people who are in the city, who are kind of moving through it, I suppose, you wouldn't really identify it as one area. There's obviously been a lot of conversation about O'Connell Street. Um, and there's been a, a north-south divide Yeah, there's always also. a north-south divide, but the reality is there were like effectively riots on South William Street during the pandemic and there was a lot of hassle on Dame Street. There was a lot of hassle in Temple Bar. And they're all south-side. Yeah, so that's a very kind of simplistic narrative. I think that... Um, in certain parts, I think it's more certain kinds of areas with regards to like the built environment. Um, there's a lot of conversation at the moment around laneways and so on. Indeed, the council uh, have made moves to close down a laneway cl- very close to where this assault took place, actually quite in, in between where the assault of the Ukrainian actor near the Abbey Theatre um, in Dublin 1 and the, this other um, this other latest assault, uh, Harbour Court is the name of that laneway, which is, you know, notoriously messy. I mean, there's a lot of um, drug taking on that laneway. There's it's a public l- toilet as well. Yeah, effectively. Mm. Um, and the council is, is basically, their approach to that is to, is to shut it down as and a And do you think that's the council giving up? I, 100% it's the council giving up. And I think that that's extraordinarily frustrating for people because if it, if an area is known to be quote-unquote problematic and the approach is then to just shut that area down, what does that say about the vision for any kind of positive trajectory in the city? Now, bear in mind, a few years ago, um, Dublin City Council published an amazing document about, uh, I think it was called Love, Loving Our Laneways. It was specifically about laneways in Dublin 1, how they could be revitalised. They engaged Sean Harrington Architects on this. They published this great document demonstrating all the potential for this kind of stuff. Where is that? What happened? We don't yeah, know. so where 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 does where is the outcome of that? So there are aspects of strategy that are failing here and vision, aspects of delivery. I'm not saying that that will, you know, magically make violence going away. This is a city. You were go- if if the media keeps reporting on every single assault in in Dublin city or any city will be here a long time. It is feeding into a narrative that is maybe distorting the picture, but at the same time, that does not get the various parties off the hook with regards to why are there is there not being more done to actually have the city progress in a positive light where people can feel optimistic, where there can be a new renewed sense of civic pride. That's about leadership. It's about decision making. It's about delivery. It's about loads of things. 
And while that isn't happening, and while these kind of attacks are happening, and especially random attacks and unprovoked attacks, I I think that creates a massive perception issue because they're both feeding each other. What do you think makes an area feel safe or not? It's an interesting question. I think it's about um, street life a lot of the time. I think it's about the built environment being aesthetically pleasing or at least having like character that feels uh, like it's not necessarily falling apart. I think that there has been many, many really poor interventions in the public realm in Dublin uh, in recent years that have been very grey, that have felt very homogenous, that have not done anything to enhance the character of the area. You know, when I was cycling up here, I went around in the front of Store Street Garda Station and, you know, that has another one of those kind of grey, unused, desolate looking... Yeah, it's very strange open space, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and these things, they call them plazas. Now, there are no more plazas than, than anything else. So I also think that it's about having, you know, lots of independent businesses. It's about having lots of green areas Um, It's about having places to hang out. It's about having public seating, public space. And this is something that Dublin has really fallen behind on. It's like, where do you hang out in, in, in the city? Where do you see people just kicking back, not outside a cafe, not somewhere where they have to spend money um, and not in one of, an, you know, the enclosed kind of Georgian parks or whatever. But where can you actually see people you know, flaneur or just like, you know, sitting back and smelling the roses, you know, that that's really needed. And, and I think that there's been too much focus on commercial activity and retail and office activity that we need to get that kind of vibe back. But I suppose, isn't there an attitude perhaps from the council that if you have places where people can gather, that's just going to start creating antisocial behaviour? Because it, we don't have huge amounts of people living right in the middle of the city who will be using their outdoor spaces as their gardens. There's two things going on there. We don't have enough people living in the city um, and there need to be more people living in the city and there needs to be, you know, diverse types of people living in the city, more families and so on, right? And the other thing is that attitude permeates Dublin City Council. And guess what? It's not working. Uh, That kind of obstructionist type of attitude is actually really harming the city. And the kind of passive attitude is also really harming the city. Like somebody else will do it. The businesses will clean up the lane or that's somebody else's responsibility. I just say I reject all of that. We need to have a radical approach that actually creates a city with amazing ambience, with amazing public space, with amazing green space, where really engaging with the culture of street life and independent business and, you know, culture more generally in terms of creative activity is paramount. Because that's what Dublin's about. It's a place of character and it's a place of people and it's a place of culture. So this kind of vision that's put in the development plans of of Dublin City Council of like, oh, we'll be a sustainable place, we'll be, you know, an innovation economy, innovation-based economy and all that kind of stuff. Like, there needs to be a much more specific vision that, that shows that we are a small city, right, that is really famous, that is famous for its culture, famous for its people, famous for its socialising, you know, and that needs to be, like, where is that for the people who are living in the city and who move to the city? That needs to be enhanced much more. I mean, it's also very frustrating for me as I was writing this week. It's like 
we know all of the solutions. We know all of the causes. So if you go around that immediate area where these two now kind of infamous assaults took place, there are so many opportunities to enhance that in a second. Not only just the laneways, not actually just being like kind of empty places where you could have so much more activity and so much more public uh, seating and commerce and dining or drinking or cafes or whatever. There is like a huge lawn at the uh, Department of Housing, which is completely gated off. That's a massive public space. Where is the Department of Housing? The Department of Housing is basically at the intersection of Bus Oris and uh, Gardner Street and up towards the Irish Life Centre, Custom House, like massive building. So the Custom House faces out onto the Liffey. The back of that is actually the entrance to the Department of Housing. There's a massive green public space there, closed off, presumably just for the benefit of the officials. Open that up, have a park in the area. Right beside that there, as the Dart Bridge goes over towards Gardner Street, there's beautiful old arches, right? Archways. Now, if you go to, uh, you know, London Fields and Hackney or whatever, if you go to, or uh, also North Paris, the same types of arches underneath uh, train bridges are opened up. There's businesses in them, there's cafes and stuff. These things are closed off and it's a car park, right? So you, you have all of these aspects that are actually really simple to change that would immediately enhance the area. The issue that's happening in Dublin right now with feel, people having this feeling of like, kind of drudgery with it or that it's not meeting the aspirations of people in the city is because tiny little piecemeal things are being done, some quite well, beautiful greening up at Capel Street, not too far from Talbot Street, um, you know, at, at the corner of, Par of Parnell Street there, really gorgeous. They pedestrianised that street, wasn't executed very well, but okay, it's something. But th there's, we need to do stuff at scale. Like, and, and it's very, very easy to do. This stuff does not cost a lot of money but it's about having a vision for what we want people to be at in the city. We want people to be living well. We want public luxury, no matter what your socioeconomic background is. You know, we want a, a, something that's aesthetically pleasing, that has a nice atmosphere. If you have people walking around with nowhere to sit, nowhere to pee, you know, where there's lots of dereliction, um, where they might be facing like economic hardship, what are people going to feel but hassle? What are people people going to feel but stressed? It, it, it instigates and embeds this kind of lack of civic pride. So what I get frustrated by is that a lot of this stuff is very simple. I'm not saying that it's going to, you know, eradicate violence. Violence will happen. And there's loads of reasons and issues for that. And I think a lot of it actually has to do with the kind of weirdness of the, of the pandemic. But it would make things a lot better. Coming up, Una Mullally on the Justice Minister's reactions to the recent assaults in the city. Now, can we talk about the official reaction, if you, if you like, to those two specific attacks we mentioned at the start? So we had the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee. She did a walkabout on Talbot Street, accompanied by guards. Uh, photo opportunity that, of course, prompted quite a bit of ridicule in that people were smart are saying, you know, we'd all walk down Talbot Street if we had Gardaí beside us. But she said, Party of Law and Order, Fine Gael, she said that there was going to be a tough and firm response that will send out the message that we will not 
tolerate this thuggery on our streets. Did that inspire confidence in you? Um, I think it inspires confidence in people who are looking for a reaction. I think the issue with this kind of stuff is that all we ever get is reactive politics. There needs to be more visible policing in Dublin City and every business owner who faces challenges around crime will tell you that. I suppose for me, it's I, I don't necessarily trust that kind of rhetoric because it's not looking at things in a broader sense. I think it does appeal probably to Fine Gael's voters because they do present themselves as the party of law and order. Is this just something that's going to happen for like a month and you'll see more Garthi around Dublin 1 and then gradually it will just kind of dissipate. So no, it doesn't inspire confidence. And, you know, she mentioned the kind of a pilot projects there they have in terms of, you know, the, the the safety pilots and stuff. But like that safety plan hasn't even been published for the North Inner City and that she launched that two years ago. So that doesn't necessarily inspire confidence. And the Gardaí are also in uh, having a lot of difficulty recruiting and retaining um, officers. I would imagine that operationally, it is probably not viewed as effective if there's lots of Garthi on the beat rather than, you know, in specific crime units. And so I think that there's probably a a conflict there operationally in terms of what is effective. But again, it's down to perception and people kind of feeling safe and a deterrent, you know, because if you talk to you know, different business owners operating in places where there is a high level of crime or there is a high level of violence, you know, they will say, it's very obvious, if there was a guard there or two standing on the corner, this wouldn't be happening. It would probably be happening somewhere else, mind you. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Dublin city centre, maybe it's unusual, maybe it's not, I don't know. We have a number of very large police headquarters in the city centre. Both those two attacks we talked about, they both attacked within, happened within, you know, less than a five minute walk from major police stations. So is there a perception that even if there were guards going around, it, it wouldn't matter? I think that the police stations are, even though they're so prominent in the city, they're also kind of invisible in this weird way. Like, and you're so right. OK, so you've store street guard the station in between where these attacks took place. Just across the river, you have Pier Street Guard the Station, South Inner, South Inner City of Kevin Street Guard the Station. There's a new Guard the Station on O'Connell Street, which apparently is not is getting barely any calls. And the Assistant Commissioner, who's kind of in charge of um, policing in, in, in Dublin City Centre, Angela Willis, she's now saying, actually, we'd prefer to have those Guard who are in, in there in that station out on the street. I definitely think that more visible policing... A more community with policing would help. Look, I am no fan of over-policing, but I do think it it, it would help. Mm. And community policing, like community Gardaí, you know, working in, in the north inner city in Dublin, you know, between 2016 and 2022, the numbers fell by half. Like everybody talks about this kind of smaller drop in Gardaí in the stations in that area, which is down 3.8% this year. But that figure is really pronounced. Um, there was a decline of 48% um, of those community Gardaí mm. in the Dublin Met- Metropolitan Region North Central Division. Um, now, a lot of that will be have the redesignation of what community Gardaí are and people going into specific crime units and, and so on. But the decline in actual Gardaí in those stations that we're talking about, um, 
this year is the largest decline nationwide. Gardaí know a lot. They have, have a lot of information from um, responding to crime uh, in the city, from being on the beat, from hearing from their colleagues and so on. So, you know, they know what's going on as well. And I suppose one of the things that I get flummoxed by is when particular areas are known to have very specific issues related to violent crime, right? Why is that not being dealt with? So going back to this kind of laneway city centre issue, at Aston Quay on Monday night this week in, in that network of laneways, Price's Lane, beside there, there was a woman in her 30s severely assaulted. I believe she was stabbed. The crime that's ongoing in in that tiny little area, which is uh, drug-related crime, essentially, um, from in terms of drug dealing and the violence that becomes associated with that street-level uh, crime, I, I do not see that being... Um, policed. Policed, effectively. Mm. Now, I know that the Gardaí on Cavan Street have been meeting with the business owners there and so on, but you see videos, and I've seen videos and CCTV from that area of people being randomly assaulted, of people being um, stabbed uh, in very disturbing assaults, robberies, and there's a huge amount of crack-related crime going on there. Now, the last time you were in the studio talking to us on in the news, it was about how filthy Dublin was. You specifically mentioned local politicians, that local politicians don't seem interested in getting on board and talking about that issue and trying to figure it out. Is it the same in terms of politicians and the safety on the streets? Are they just hands off? They just, oh, don't want to know. No, I feel like um, safety and and violence um, and kind of law and order rhetoric is really enticing to government politicians. Yeah, of course. And because everybody hates crime, right? So you can just say, we're going to get tough on crime. This is unacceptable. There's thuggery on our streets. We're going to crack down on it. That means a, a reaction. It doesn't actually mean anything in real terms. If you want to be proactive, if you want to create a city that feels great, um, that people feel safe in, that has a great reputation for the people who live in it and move to it, not just for tourists, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about the failures of um, the public realm, as it's called? Um, What are you going to do by the kind of passive stance that Dublin City Council has with a lot of things? What are you going to do about vision for the city? What are you going to do about the fact that there doesn't really feel like there's anyone in charge, except occasionally now and then talk about a directly elected mayor? Look, I think it's very attractive for politicians to grandstand on these kind of things. We see it with you know, not just city centre politicians, but with Jim O'Callaghan and, and people like that, mm. because it's great content. Yeah. Like it's, you know, and, and, and it's very easy. It's very easy to say, look, I have a hear from no government politician who said one smart thing about a cohesive plan for the trajectory of Dublin City that has vision and that has huge ambition, which we deserve and which people's standards kind of deserve in the duration of this, these last two governments anyway. You just don't really hear it from them at all. So when the drop in now, I tend to be quite cynical about it. Now, in your in your column this week, um, you, you, you say there's two different Dublins. What did you mean by that? This is why the broad brushstrokes narratives are not helpful when people say Dublin's a kip. <laughs> you know, it's not. But it can be kippy 
and it can be absolutely glorious. It can be dangerous and it can be perfectly safe. It can be thriving and it can feel really down at heel. It can be vibrant and it can be desolate. This all speaks to lack of cohesion of place and context. And we have to examine that context because the reality is you could walk down Talbot Street a thousand times and nothing would happen. And you could walk down it once and get a box in the face. Same thing could happen on Harcourt Street on the south side of the city or Camden Street on the south side of the city. Certainly this kind of edge and vibe would be diffused somewhat if the place felt like it was doing better overall. Well, now, you know, it seems to me that if you or I went out onto the street now and did a Vox Pop and asked who the Dublin Lord Mayor is, I'm not sure people would know, who the head of the city council is, the same. So, you know, you wrote in, in, in your column that Dublin needs leadership. It needs a plan. Who should lead that? I think that it needs to be led by multiple different, um, I mean, God, I was about to use the word stakeholders there. I'll avoid that. that's not nearly the problem. Yeah. Is that there's no one person, there's no symbol, the one person that we say, well, they're in charge. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, a good few years ago, I was kind of trying to advocate for a minister for Dublin. <laughs> I know that that's probably an unpopular thing for most of the country, but the reality is there are multiple rural ministries and there's a minister for the Gaeltacht, okay, it's packaged in with a million other, other things. But in lieu of leadership at a local government level, there needs to be something else. Now, Dublin City Council will point to their development plan, right? And there's actually a new development plan, 23 to 28. Look, this city is, there's so many moving parts. Like, how do you run a city, right? Right. But um, so so what lacks, what becomes lacking in that is this kind of vision. What is Dublin? Like, where do we want it to be in 10 years? And not in these kind of like wishy-washy terms, but something that's like, is it a city of culture? You know, is that what we want to do? Okay, well, let's do that. That seems like a good plan because all of the things that orientate around that will give the city a cohesion of atmosphere, of intention, of vision. And I was writing recently about how is an open goal to kind of in this constant conversation about what to do with O'Connell Street in making it this kind of cultural kilometre that goes from um, all of the existing cultural infrastructure there. So there's this lack of, you know, that old cliche, joined up thinking or strategic thinking. And so, yes, we do need leadership. I don't know where that comes from. We are facing into kind of a transitionary period in terms of Dublin City Council because the CEO, Owen Keegan, is leaving in September. The interim CEO, which is Deputy Richard Shakespeare, is coming in for like six months or something. Um, That's not ideal in terms of there being a kind of leadership there. And councillors can talk all they want. They hold so little power. So... That that's an issue that needs to be addressed. If that means mass uh, reform at a local government level for the entire uh, country, where there is a complete reconfiguration, where every local authority has a directly elected mayor and a cabinet and budgets and budgets to match, and where councillors both pay and power is increased, and the whole thing is reconfigured, that ensures a more efficient, accountable. Um, progressive form of doing local government, please do that. 
you know, the, the, the state will say that's too big a job. It is long overdue. In terms of central government leadership, government has abandoned Dublin, in my opinion. There is very little engagement with the city, despite the fact that the Taoiseach and the Minister for Finance um, and others are... Uh, you know, are are from the city. And, you know, Dublin Central is Pascal Donoghue's constituency. Never hear him talk about it. Of course, he does local constituency work. But in terms of a vision for the city, for a man who is meant to be very kind of like culturally literate and all that kind of stuff um, and engages with the culture of the city, I don't hear him talk about it. Um, I don't hear Leo Varadkar talk about it uh, in a way that actually chimes with what people need. Or Mary Lou MacDonald. Or Mary Lou MacDonald doesn't talk about it too much at all. I mean, the one person that I would say actually does kind of, you know, get it is Gary Gannon. Um, And, you know, he's from Dublin Central as well. But you don't hear Mary Lou MacDonald talking about this kind of vision for the city, although I suppose she does talk in more general terms about vision and ambition and things like that. So, I mean, but that's kind of easy to say. And we also need people to stop painting in broad brushstrokes. It's very easy to say all this stuff that I've been hearing um, from, from, from journalists and broadcasters over the past few days, talking about feral kids and, you know, thugs and scumbags. And I mean, that's appalling stuff. Like, people really need to, to cop on to that. And if you're only jumping into this issue because you know, it's worth a few minutes on on your radio program or whatever and makes you sound like a badass or something, I don't know. Please, like, take a breath because those kind of narratives, they're classist, first of all. They don't reflect reality and they create this kind of sense of moral panic that is not necessarily justified. And I suspect we'll be in here in the studio again talking about Dublin at some point. Thanks for coming in. That's it for today. To read Una Mullally's weekly column, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back soon.